You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gccugene.org. It's good to be back. My name is Jake. I serve as one of the elders here at Gospel Community Church. And most of what you've heard about uh, this sermon series, Legacy, uh, it sounds like a great series. I, I've, I've been out for the last month. We, we won't be continuing in our Legacy series this morning. Um, and the passage that's up behind you also won't be our passage. So I've, I found out I will be preaching this morning officially at like 6 a.m. Uh, this morning. So uh, yeah, it's supposed to be Rick. And he'll, he'll be back uh, to preach uh, the series on legacy. But here I am. I'm very thankful to get to be up in front of you, even though that's not what I thought I'd be doing this morning. <laughs> I thought I'd be sitting where you guys are and j- just chilling. So um, my, my day job is that uh, I'm one of the directors of Crew, which is a campus ministry at U of O. So thankfully, I, I give a lot of these like sermons or talks to students, so it helps me like use them interchangeably. So if some of my examples are more college focused, um, yeah, just deal with it. I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll try to like fix some in there and let the spirit lead uh, as he would like. But um, if you're thinking like, wow, this sounds more like a 22 year old example, that's that's because this is initially was written for, but. I think it really has a lot of things that we can draw from and learn from no matter what uh, stage of life we're in, whether in we're, we're in middle school or you know we're in our 70s, I think we can really draw um, from the Word of God. And I was actually talking with uh, DJ this morning, one of the um, individuals who's been coming to GCC, a guy I respect a lot. We were talking about how cool it is, I think, to be able to have people in our church that can like just uh, share the gospel and, and preach the word. And I think as I look out of, you know, my friends and family out here, I can see so many people, like if something happened to our elders and this and that, there would be people uh, to come up and preach the word of God. So here I am, and uh, we'll, we'll dive in this morning. Um, kind of the message or, or theme uh, I'm going to be looking at is kind of this theme of treasure or, or what it is uh, that we value. And so the problem is, is that I think the world tells us to value a lot of different things. And so you come in, there are messages, things that you are told to value, whether that's money, maybe it's relationships. Uh, if you're single, like a marriage, like that's the thing to value. Uh, maybe it's your friendships, maybe it's your image, both physical or, or just like what people think of you and your character. Maybe it's success and status, like how high up the ladder you can get, how well known uh, you can be in the power that you get from that. The world tells us to value that. Uh, maybe it's our possessions. Maybe it's the actual physical things that we own and we take a lot of value in the items that we have. And if our, you know, uh, heaven forbid, our house like caught on fire or something like that, you would be like, man, I lost like everything in that. And the list goes on and on and on. Like you can't watch a commercial, drive down the street, uh, scroll through social media without something being like put at you that this is what you should value and treasure. Um, And it's kind of thrown in our face all the time. Again, doesn't matter how old we are, what stage of life, we're always told to value something. 
Um, and you can start to feel trapped in this uh, because you can never have enough of it. You can't have enough success. You can never have enough money. You can never have enough of these things that the world tells you is important. Uh, for me, this struggle started at a real young age. Uh, I don't know about you. This is going to like really, sh I wish I had pictures, but I didn't have enough time. So you can blame that one on Rick. But I legit used to have, you know, frosted tips. If you don't know what frosted tips are, just look up NSYNC uh, or Backstreet Boys cover. Like if you're young sitting here and you don't know who they are, I'm sorry, you're missing out on a lot. I used to also have DC shoes. If you're a skater, you know what DC shoes are. I wasn't an Osiris fan, more into the DC shoes, sorry. And I had Eminem's first CD on like a portable CD player that would go in the pocket of my hoodie sweatshirt. So if you were born in the 90s, you're like, dude, I know everything you're talking about. But I had these things uh, really for the ultimate purpose because the world told me they're valuable. All, all people like had frosted tips and, you know, these shoes and dress like this and all of that. I mean, sure, I liked these things, but the main purpose I had them was because people told me they were valuable. Uh, another funny thing about me is that I love dogs. I've like loved dogs uh, from since I can remember. And for a long time, I've, I still want a puppy to this day. Like I try to convince Sarah that it's like the wisest, smartest thing to do. Um, but my, I can never beat her in an argument. So that's why we still don't have a dog. But if I see him on campus or I'm like walking around, somebody has a puppy, I just like fall to the ground because they're so cute and I want one. And I think it's a good idea. But there are other things like I always think I need a really nice TV. Like if, if you walk through Costco, anybody have a Costco membership, you walk through and you're like, OK, I need that 70 inch TV, you know, whereas back in the day, you could never find one like that. Maybe uh, for me, like we're in a house rental and I keep thinking like I need to buy a house like and I need to have a house that like looks like this and I need to have this type of car that's in the garage. I need my yard like to look like this. I need my kids to behave this certain way. Like the list goes on of things that I'm just kind of learning to value. And I stop and ask myself why. And I can find myself unsatisfied with my life and like the things in it because it doesn't always match up with the world around me and what they, the world says, right? Like I'm never at the spot where I think I should be. And, and the things that like I value don't always match up with what I'm told that I should have. So I'm always like wanting more. I'm never left satisfied. And don't get me wrong, like none of these things are inherently bad or wrong. Like houses aren't bad. It's not bad to have a house. It's not bad to have a dog or a puppy, okay? Uh, it's not bad to have frosted tips and DC shoes or listen to Eminem. Well, some, some things, right? And none of these things are inherently necessarily like bad in and of themselves. It's only when we look to them for our ultimate source of value that we'll be left unsatisfied and frustrated. And we ultimately start to worship these things. And so the truth is, is like, yeah, I have these things in my life that I tend to look to to complete me. Um, but I think we're all kind of on this mission to find something, find things that give us our ultimate value to satisfy our souls um, and the world around us knows that. It knows that human beings are always looking for something to satisfy them completely. And that's why it tries to get our attention with the next best thing. And uh, I don't think I'm the only one being told that things, these things will satisfy me. And so we all get convinced that if we treasure what the world treasures, we'll be satisfied. There's like a lie that we start to believe. If I value this and I go after it, I will become satisfied. 
And if we can't find our satisfaction in what the world treasures, where, where do we find it? If we're not supposed to find it there, where do we find it? And so I'm going to read a couple of verses um, in the Bible to kind of help guide our time. But before I do this, I want you to close your eyes with me, okay? Don't fall asleep. Hopefully you had some coffee. But close your eyes, okay? And I want you to just pause, okay? Try to like put everything that maybe is like going on in life aside for a second. And I want you to like, be honest with yourself and picture the thing that you value most in your life. So be honest with yourself. What is the thing that you value most? And just picture that in your mind. It doesn't have to be a material thing. It could be abstract or a person. Okay, be honest with yourself. Okay. All right, you can open your eyes and I'll come back to that at the end. Um, and I'm going to pray. And uh, the passage today is Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. Um, So if you want to, I think it'll be up behind me. um, But as you open up uh, your Bibles, we also have Bibles in the back if you need one. They're at the connect table and you can keep it. If you don't have one, uh, they're for you. So I'm just going to pray. Father, thanks for this morning. Thanks for church family. This morning, I was just reminded as, as I walked in, that, that you make this like building special by, by bringing people in it, uh, people that are united by you. Um, so I'm very grateful for that, um, Lord, especially uh, just being overseas and seeing things uh, differently there. Like I'm just coming back so grateful for our church family, the people you've put in my life. And so, Lord, I, I'm just grateful for everybody sitting here. Um, Lord, thank you for your word that we have like a light uh, lamp to our feet uh, that guides us to you and to the gospel and to what's true. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, fill me with your spirit, that if there's anything I say that's not true, it would go in one ear and out the other. But if there's anything I say that you want people to remember and to soak in, that would be like a rock in their shoe they, they can't forget about throughout the week. So, Lord, we love you a lot and pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, we're going to start just with verse 44. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. So some context, uh, Jesus is speaking and he's speaking in parables. He did this uh, for a couple reasons, I think. The first is to fulfill prophecy. So if you look a few verses back, Matthew 13, verses 34 and 35, um, it says, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So he's doing this to fulfill prophecy. He's doing this to say, I'm the one for you to be listening to. And uh, the second isn't as a, I don't know, like founded in scripture. Maybe it's just my opinion. But I think when you hear a story, you're more like sucked in. Like if someone's trying to tell you something and they share a story to explain it, it's a lot easier, and I think like it captures your attention. And so I think Jesus knows people, and he knows that if he tells a story, it'll draw people in to what he is saying. So in parables, each character uh, or item represents something. So I'm taking you back to like English class days when you have like symbolism, like this stands for this. So some of you will have fun with it, some of you won't. So in, in this parable in particular, we'll just kind of walk through what each item and character represents. So first, uh, the treasure, it's the place which good or precious things are kept. Okay, pretty, pretty obvious there. A storage place for valuable. So in this parable, the treasure represents the most valuable thing a person can have, most valuable thing. 
Um, maybe when you're a kid, you have like a shoebox or something like that. I don't know if that's a good example, but you have a place where you keep everything, like all your love notes or, or something. I don't know if you had one of those as a kid. But and then we have the field, uh, which kind of can be literally land or like a space. Uh, but if you look at Matthew 13:38, just again a few verses back, um, Jesus says the field is the world. And so he basically tells us exactly what the field represents, and that's the world. And by the way, Jesus's closest followers had a hard time with parables. They'd always ask him later, like, can you explain this? I don't get it. So if you're struggling, you're not the only one. Even his disciples, I think, had a hard time. And I have the internet to help me. So I have a disadvantage. And then we see a man in this verse. So we may think that this is for sure a male, you know, just because it says man. But for ladies in the room, the Greek is translated as like person. Uh, it's just a human being. So this can re represent you, me, or, or any, any person. Okay. So we're going to break this down. The treasure is hidden among the field or in the world. Okay. What is significant about this? Uh, the significance is, is that the treasure is there all along. Okay. It's hidden in the field all along. It's, it's just sitting there. The only thing is no one has found it. It's been buried for so long, like waiting, waiting to be found. And what about this person, the, this, this person in the field? Probably a worker just because in this time period, it was a lot of like agricultural work and things like that. And what were they doing? The text says they found the treasure. He was probably, or they were probably just doing what they do every single day, maybe working out in the field, you know, some type of agricultural work, and they stumble upon this treasure. It was any day, any other day, uh, this person was, yeah, just going along with their job. And I think this actually explains the way many of us experience God for the first time. We weren't looking for him. We weren't planning on bumping into God, but we did. And I think that's a lot of my story. I grew up with no Christian background, spiritual background, religious background at all. But through a series of events, one of my best friends became a Christian. It's like, how, how does that happen? And then he starts to talk to me about his faith. Like I wasn't, you know, I didn't wake up one day and be like, you know what? I really like want to find God. Some people that that's, that can be the case. Um, but for me, I just stumbled upon him. And I think for a lot of us that that happened, we just stumbled upon God. And maybe some of you are sitting in this room and, you know, this is your opportunity of like stumbling upon God. You're not really like looking for him necessarily, but he's right here in front of you. And, and I think that this shows something uh, that's true about this treasure and about God. So just because we aren't looking for the treasure doesn't mean it isn't there. So even if like your friends maybe aren't Christian or you're sitting in this room just because you aren't looking for God doesn't mean he isn't there. And I think just because it's, he, you know, you aren't looking for it doesn't mean he doesn't exist. It's, it's there whether you're looking for it or not, which I think is pretty cool. And so then we, we see this person's response. Um, it's actually covering it up, uh, which, which seems pretty strange. Uh, why would he cover it up? The truth is treasure was often hidden in fields because normal, normal banks didn't exist. Like he couldn't take it and like give it to a bank and be like, here, save this for me. Uh, the safest place was, was hiding it in the ground and only you know where it is. Like maybe it's like, I don't know, 15 yards from a tree that you know. Actually in World War II, uh, when a lot of things were getting destroyed and valuables were getting destroyed, people actually hid precious artifacts, like buried them uh, to keep them safe so that they didn't get destroyed. So kind of that idea. And according to Jewish law, 
whoever owned the field and that piece of land owned whatever it was inside of it, okay? So if you own the field, you own the treasure inside of it. If he goes down and, you know, walks through town with this massive treasure, I'm picturing like a treasure chest. I just watched a pirate movie. People would be like, okay, that's going to be mine. You know what I mean? Imagine somebody walking around town with like billion dollars, like, I don't know, around them. People would probably be like, "Eh, I'm going to just steal some of that or whatever. Then in his joy is what the text says. The actual word is translated delight. In his delight, it's obvious that this guy wasn't scared, nervous, or greedy, or even thinking about how he was going to use this treasure for himself. It was just pure delight. And what do they do? They sell all that they have. It's, it's pure delight that leads them to sell all of his belongings. He sells everything, which is kind of crazy to me. Like I would leave some, at least a little bit, and it would be hard enough for me to like sell things like my car, you know, and stuff like that, that I really like have like high monetary value. Or for me personally, like my hockey gear, it's, it's all broken in, like my skates like fit perfectly to my feet. I would not want to sell those. But that's not all this person gives away. Everything literally means everything. Um, it means the things that, that don't have monetary value. It's like me giving, getting rid of like pictures from my wedding with Sarah and just giving them all away. I don't have any trace of, of photos from my wedding. It could be like uh, this, my dad gave me a rifle and it belonged to my grandpa. It's like, it doesn't, it's probably not worth very much money-wise, but it means a lot to me. It could be like my girls' social security card, my daughter's, you know, or something like that from their birth. Um, this person gives up their, their entire self. Like imagine giving up your social security card. You're like, that's the most valuable thing. Like if you don't have your social security card, it, it's kind of a big deal, right? Um, they give up everything and buy and buys the field and doesn't just buy the chunk of land. Like if it were me, I'd be like, I actually just want this, you know, foot by foot, uh, whatever, square foot. I wasn't a math teacher. Foot by square foot uh, piece of land because that's exactly where I know it is. They didn't strike a deal with whoever maybe owns the field. They bought the entire thing, okay? Which means they didn't want to leave it up to chance. There's no way they're going to risk not getting that treasure. So the main question you should be asking yourself or we're asking is what exactly did this person find? And thankfully, Jesus tells us exactly what they found, and that's the kingdom of heaven itself. And who or what is the kingdom of heaven? And so we see that they found the presence and truth of Jesus himself. The man knew instantly that this treasure was worth all that he had, knowing Jesus was worth everything. And so circling back to the first sentence, the kingdom of heaven is like the whole parable points to two truths about knowing Jesus. And one is we don't have to be looking for Jesus for him to exist and waiting to be found by us. And this right here, I think being at church is like an opportunity to know him and experience him and stumbling upon him, so to speak. And the second truth is knowing Christ is far greater than anything the world says is valuable. It's better than any amount of money, fame. If you're a student, it's, it's more important than your GPA. Sorry, parents. It's more important than approval, recognition, all of those things. It's more important than the house and with the kids and the wife and the dog, okay, the puppy, all right? God is worth giving everything for. And I'm going to shift down to uh, the next couple verses and go through this more quickly. Uh, verse 45 says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. 
Again, Jesus gives another example of what the kingdom of heaven is like, what he is like, and knowing him. And again, he uses another parable. And the merchant in search of fine pearls, he's like, uh, basically has a trade. He's like journeying through to find these things. And so this person, unlike the person in the field who is just kind of working, doing everyday life, this person is like searching diligently for fine pearls or for this, for treasure. And so there's kind of a difference here between them. Uh, pearls in this parable represent something that this person thinks will ultimately satisfy him. Again, treasure, something I got to have. He's craving or they are craving finding these pearls, has to have them. And I think this can be equated to what the world tells us to find value in. We crave it. We have to find these things. And so maybe this person's looking for a physical pearl, but what are the pearls that we are looking for, craving? We have to find them. And, and for us, it could be meaning, like meaning in life, purpose, pleasure, even physical things like alcohol could be our pearls. Money, sports. Uh, I know with like Oregon Ducks football coming up and you know, things like that coming up, we, we tend to value these things a lot. These things in and of themselves, again, are not bad, but when we devote ourselves to them and crave them and we find them, that's where we find ourselves unsatisfied. So this, this uh, pearl searcher, uh, this merchant, finds one that's more precious than anything, probably the most expensive thing they had ever seen. And if the merchant's whole life had been traveling in search of pearls, uh, he must have seen many nice pearls in his day. So he must have known for a fact like this thing, there is nothing like this. And he went and sold all that he had and bought it. His reaction to finding this pearl is identical to the man in the field. We aren't sure exactly what the man in the field sold, like every specific thing. It just says everything, so we can guess. But we can almost be sure that this person sold all the pearls he had ever collected in his life just to have this one, which is a lot of things to give up, a lot of things that he valued and found important. And this one pearl he found, he, he must have known it was worth everything to him. So what do we learn from this parable? When you are in search of the most valuable thing in life, I believe you will find God. I think if you're searching for the most valuable thing in life, you will find God. And I think some, some of us right at this very moment, like the merchant, we are in search of something that will ultimately satisfy us. Maybe you aren't a Christian in this room and you're searching and you're, you're really trying to find what will ultimately satisfy you. And I believe the only thing that will satisfy you is God. And some of you Christians in this room are looking to things outside of God, outside of a relationship with Jesus to ultimately satisfy you and you're left unsatisfied every time. I know that because... I do the same thing. I want to encourage you that the pearl you're most in search of is Jesus. That is the thing you're most in search of, whether you're a Christian or not. Second, we learn that knowing Christ is, is far more valuable than anything this world has to offer. So much that's worth giving up a lot of like good things for. Okay, A lot of fine things, a lot of fine pearls are worth giving up to have him. And so what things, again, I'll ask you, what things are good things that you're making like the ultimate thing, your ultimate pearl, your ultimate thing that you're finding value in? And so the cool thing, um, we see this word bought in both of these parables. Um, so I want to point this out. The specific Greek word can be translated to redeem, which is only used in a handful of places um, in Scripture, and one of which is Revelation 5.9. And it says this, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you redeemed people for God from every tribe 
and language and people and nation. Some translations also say ransomed, ransomed or redeemed. The redeemed definition is to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. So it costs something. So in this verse, Revelation 5, 9, what is being redeemed? People. Who is doing the buying or redeeming? Jesus is. How does he pay for these people? By his blood, his very life, everything. So we're going to look back at our parables uh, through a different lens. Matthew 13, 44 through 46. We're going to kind of combine them, push them together, and look at it through a different lens. So through this lens, uh, Revelation 5, 9, and Jesus doing the redeeming, who is the treasure or the pearl? You actually are. Who is the man or the merchant? Jesus is. What does he do? Jesus, in his joy, in his delight, gives up everything to have you. We were owned by sin, trapped by it. Every, every person in this room has looked to God or, you know, looked outside of God or Jesus to find our ultimate value purpose. That is what the Bible would call sin, living apart from a perfect relationship with God. And the price of that, uh, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin, the payment of sin is death. So every time you sin, or if you've sinned once or a million times, the payment of that, the wage is death. That is what we earn. So the price on each one of our heads is death, a life for a life. Jesus is arrested, beaten, spat on, and ultimately nailed to a cross to have you and to have me. His blood that he shed, was it purchased you and me and actually the entire field, right? John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, right? He, he gave his life for the world. And so you see how brilliant Jesus is. Even as he's t- telling a parable, it has two sides to it. These parables aren't just about us and how we are to give up all to have Jesus. They, they are about that. But I think more importantly, they're about Jesus already giving up everything to have you. I tell all my college students, like, Jesus doesn't ever ask you to do something he, he didn't already do himself. They're about, these parables are about Jesus giving everything, absolutely everything. And that's the only way you're able to give your life to him. If you're struggling and you're like, I got to just focus on this. I got to remember what's valuable. I, 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 I have to do this. Then I think we're actually missing it. We have to remember, okay? Remember, reflect on, rest in the fact that Jesus already gave up everything to have you. And that's amazing to me that we have a God in heaven who would treasure us so much that he would give everything, his only son, like everything to have us. And our natural response out of this would be nothing short of what these two people did in the parable. Give up everything to the one who gave it all for us, which I think is beautiful. So I have a few kind of practical things uh, to share with you of like, how, do, how does this apply to my life or, or what do I do in light of this? Again, none of these things like save you, um, but I think it produces a response. It produces action on our end, if that makes sense. Notice that each of these people in these parables, their response was immediate. They didn't wait to like see what else was out there or, you know, this or that. They didn't wait to save up more money or a few possessions. They didn't even keep some on the side. They immediately, their response was immediate to give up everything they had. And so some of us, especially if we maybe haven't trusted Christ yet, we're waiting for something. And I would just ask, what are we waiting for? Let's go ahead and step in 
and, and sell all you have, give everything you have. If you, again, are investigating Christianity, I would love to talk to you, especially like growing up 19 plus years without ever knowing Jesus. I would love to talk to you about that. The second thing is, again, I asked this question a few times, but I want to ask it again because I think it's important. What pearls are you holding on to that are keeping you from really experiencing Jesus and what he's done for you? What pearls are you holding on to? What things that this world tells you are most valuable are you buying into? Are you listening to? And again, there's nothing more valuable than Jesus. Let those things go. Let them go. And the third thing is kind of an emotional thing. I'm an emotional guy, so uh, naturally I'm going to fit this in. How does it make you feel knowing that you are Jesus's treasure and he gave everything for you? If you're anything like me, it makes me like wiggle in my seat because I, I do not feel valuable or like, like that valuable or treasured that, that someone would give everything to have me. So if you are like me, you might struggle with like, I don't deserve that. Even for me, it's like, I don't, you don't even know what I did last week. You know, I I'm for sure don't feel valuable enough for that. But the thing is, regardless of how I feel, how you might feel, it's the truth and it's in here, you know? And that's always encouraging to me is like, what does Jesus say is true regardless of how I might feel about it. And so even though we're uncomfortable, this is still the reality that Jesus gave everything. And if you're like me, I try to prove it. I try to be like, okay, I'm going to do this so that I'm like valuable enough for purchasing for you to give up your life for me. That's not the gospel. The gospel says that Jesus gave it up for you, even in our sin, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then the fourth thing, um, I'm adding this one in, is... uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just going to ask, who in your life are you telling about this treasure? If this is the most valuable thing on the planet, it, it's worth telling people about. Uh, one of my favorite uh, authors is, is Tim Keller, and he gives kind of the analogy that if you did have the cure to cancer, uh, wouldn't you want to tell every single person about it? Wouldn't you want to share it with everybody? And I think what we have in the relationship with Jesus is even far greater than like a cure to an illness, right? And so, again, just a convicting question from even myself, because I can rely in like college ministry. I'm like, I'm talking to people about Jesus all the time. But the truth is, is I have people in my life who I, I know don't know him. And I, and I oftentimes like choose not to say anything or, or kind of just like engage in a conversation, ask them what they grew up believing or where they're at right now, things like that. And I, and I have to remember in passages like this, it's convicting to me that like, oh, this is the most valuable thing on the planet that they need. And so the um, thing I kind of want to end on is a, is a couple, couple ideas is I think just imagine what we as a church would look like is if we all lived in light of who we are as fully treasured, fully loved by God. And if we all gave up everything to have him, what, how might that change the way we interact with each other? And I think it would really drastically change um, our church family and community. So as I close, uh, I'm not going to forget about what you thought when you closed your eyes, okay? So if you remember me asking you to picture something in your mind that you value most, uh, for me, I actually, for a long time, good portion of my life, I would have pictured my family, like my mom, my dad, and my sister. Um, We were pretty tight growing up. In tight-knit family, we did everything together. And I went off to college, and I found this treasure that we're talking about, found a relationship with Jesus. And I was much like the man in the field uh, that just sort of found Jesus without really looking to find him. 
And the problem is, is that my family wasn't really as fond or excited about this treasure as I was. And uh, it's not like they stopped loving me or I stopped loving them, but the dynamics of my family like drastically changed and the closeness of it changed. And even what I valued started to change. Like as I got to know Jesus, I started valuing different things, right? Things that were important to God became important to me. And it seemed uh, the more and more I got to know Jesus, that the price of, my field, of the field for, for God, the price of knowing him was my family. Because I realized I couldn't really have both. Like I couldn't have this high value of my family and value God the same. And I think that that's like the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. But I finally understood Jesus when he said the man sold all that he had to buy the field, to really have the field it, it costs me my family. And, and we still have a relationship, don't get me wrong, um, and I still love them like so, so deeply. But now my ultimate treasure is Jesus and loving and knowing him. And so if you get to know me in any capacity, you will understand that like that has been the hardest part of my walk with God, has been to really like, I was like holding on to my family and like holding on to God like this. And he taught me to just, I had to let go and give up everything and trust him with my family. And so taught me that, the, that he is by far the most valuable treasure I can ever imagine. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks um, for what you have done for us. Thank you that, Lord, I think like in our sin, we are not like valuable or things like that. But Jesus, you tell us that we are worth giving up everything for. I pray for every person sitting in each one of these seats, Lord, any stage of life, Lord, wherever people are at, that you would remind us, remind them of this, that this is the truest thing about them, that they are a child of God. And Lord, I pray that if anyone maybe sitting here doesn't know you or is investigating you, Lord, would you soften their heart, draw them to yourself. Lord, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.